Hi, my name is Kirk Hamilton, your host of the Staying Healthy Today Show. This is a show where we bring you key experts in the fields of nutrition, prevention, integrative and lifestyle medicine. We review the medical literature and we review case studies. Today's show topic is how do you reverse insulin resistance with a plant-based diet? My guest today is Dr. Cyrus Kambata, PhD in uh, nutrition. Uh, He is a nutritional biochemist. Uh, He has a business called mangomannutrition.com. I came across him when I was actually researching insulin resistance on the internet and I saw an excellent publication he put out on it. And then I happened to go to his Mastering Diabetes Summit and, and watch 25 approximately of some of the best physician researchers across the country talk about how to prevent and reverse diabetes and improve type 1, reduce insulin resistance and improve insulin sensitivity, which you'll define when we get in on this. And it, it was just so powerful. And it's something I see every day. And there's a controversy or a misunderstanding about insulin resistance. So first of all, I'd just like you to tell your story of how you became interested in committing your life to helping people with diabetes and insulin resistance and talk about your journey. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. So I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 22. Uh, I've always grown up as a really active guy. I've been an athlete ever since I could remember walking, playing baseball, soccer, basketball, running, swimming, you name it. If it's a sport, I played it. Uh, So that happened all the way through my high school years. I get to college. I'm still playing a lot of sports. And then in my senior year of college, I get diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I had all the classic symptoms. I was peeing 17, 18, 19 times a day. I was drinking about a gallon or two gallons of water per day. Uh, when I went to sleep, I was cramping and I was extremely low energy. So I checked myself into the health center and they tell me that I have type 1 diabetes. Of course, I don't know anything about type 1 diabetes at this point. All I know is that diabetes has something to do with old people and Kate. And so I said to myself, There's, I'm not a diabetic. There's no way. I think I eat pretty healthy. I'm, a, I'm an active guy. There's no way I'm a diabetic. Go to the hospital. 24 hours later, I'm checked out with a prescription for insulin, test strips, a book that teaches me how to count carbohydrates, and a bunch of fear. I was terrified that if I didn't change my habits, that something bad was going to happen to me and that I would eventually die at a very young age. So I'm a 22-year-old guy. I'm going, I'm a senior in college. I'm studying mechanical engineering. And for the first year, I listened to everything that the doctors and nutritionists told me, which is cut out carbohydrates, restrict your carbohydrate intake. And their methodology is really straightforward. They say, the more carbohydrate you eat, the more insulin you will need. Therefore, if you reduce your carbohydrate intake, you will reduce your insulin need, and it will be a lot easier to control your blood glucose. So I said, great, that sounds pretty logical. So I started doing that for the first year, and I dropped my carbohydrate intake down to, you know, about 100 grams per day, maybe about 125 grams per day, which is still a little bit on the high side, but I reduced that from where it was, and then in response to that, I was also eating more things like turkey burgers and peanut butter and dairy products because those were higher in their protein and fat intake. And as a result of that, I could really control my blood glucose. At least that's what I thought. So I did that for the first year. And it was the worst and best thing that I ever did for myself. Because in a very short period of time, I recognized that my energy levels tanked, completely tanked. I could no longer play sports. I would try and go play a game of soccer. I would last for about half an hour. And then I got way too tired. I had to take myself off the field and then my blood glucose was uncontrollable. I mean, I'm an engineer. I try and control complex systems using very simple methods, and this was the one system that I could not control. 
So let me ask you before we get too far along. When you said you got off carbs or reduce your carbs, what were the carbs that you got off of that you thought you weren't supposed to eat? Great question. So I grew up as one of those people that didn't really eat that many fruits and vegetables, right? So the carbohydrate that I was eating all throughout adolescence were things like breads and cereals and pastas and waffles and scones and, and you know, the processed carbohydrates, we'll call them. And then there were some vegetables and then there was some fruits. The vegetables I would eat were things like spaghetti squash, maybe a little bit of potatoes here and there, and then I'd maybe have three or four fruits per day. So when I reduced my carbohydrate intake, what I did was I actually reduced a lot of the refined carbohydrates, right. a lot of the pastas, a lot of the rices, the cereals, the breads, things like that. So you weren't reducing lentils, peas, and beans? No, because I didn't really eat that many of those to begin with, right. to be perfectly honest. And so again, I thought, well, if I'm reducing a lot of these refined and or processed carbohydrates, things are gonna improve. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I've read about it, I've heard about it, this should work for me. And like I said, about a year into this process, I lost all my energy and the thing that really bothered me was that every single time I went to check my blood glucose, the number could be a 75 or a 475. I had no idea what was gonna happen. And no matter how hard I tried to control it and no matter how diligent I was about checking my blood glucose and giving myself insulin, it was like this this, uh, random number generator that I had in front of me that I was just like rolling the dice and I said, okay, great, here you go, 288, awesome. So when you reduce your carbs, did that mean you increase your meat? And did you have a fat restriction? No, there was no fat restriction and no protein restriction. So yes, I increased my meat intake. Yes, I increased my fish intake. And I was eating dairy products at the time. So I'd have things like cheese with a little bit of milk here and there. Uh, and then I also had these, uh, there was a product on the market at the time called Glucerna. Maybe it still exists now. It's sort of this like diabetic friendly processed milk mm-hmm. thing. You know, and I would drink that every so often thinking that was right So did you have to adjust your insulin much more up and down like a yo-yo or was it more steady? Oh, no, yeah. So on this approach, what you're supposed to do is be able to predict how your blood glucose is going to respond because, again, we're eliminating carbohydrates or restricting carbohydrates. So no matter how much insulin I gave myself for a meal, two hours after the meal, I was either very low and I needed to eat more food in order to prevent myself from being hypoglycemic, or I was skyrocketing high and then I had to give myself a correction dose so that I could bring my blood glucose back down. Do you ever overshoot? Oh yeah, all the time, all the time. And that's the thing is when you are having a difficult time controlling a system, you're at risk for both high blood glucose and low blood glucose. And high blood glucose is dangerous for organs all throughout your body. Low blood glucose is deadly. Mm-hmm. You get a very low blood glucose, you can die. And that's the one thing that all people with diabetes are trying to avoid. And so what I learned in this process is that, you know, I think I'm a relatively smart guy. I think I can figure out some relatively complex things. And the one thing that I could not figure out was how to control my blood glucose. And it was the diet that was sabotaging my ability to control my blood glucose. So the the Stanford mechanical engineer who's Mr. Meticulous can't follow some rules to help correct your biochemistry. Correct. I mean, if you gave me rules that worked... Mm -hmm then I could control it. But the rules that I was given did not lead to the outcome that I wanted. So where was there an aha moment that pushed you to change how you were looking at this? Did you hear something, a speak, a talk, or did you just read something, or what happened? So I uh, had played a game of soccer. It was a noontime soccer game at work. It took me four days to recover from that game. So on the fourth day, I came home. I was tight. My muscles were tight. My butt was tight. My quadriceps were tight. My chest was tight. You don't use your chest to play soccer. It shouldn't have been tight in the first place. I was dehydrated. I was very tired. I come home from work. I check my blood glucose. I'm standing in my living room, and I look at the result, and it's a 285. And I pick up my blood glucose meter, 
and I get filled with rage, and I take this blood glucose meter, and I throw it across the room as hard as I possibly can, and it smashes against the wall into a thousand pieces, and then I fall on the couch and I start crying. And I just sink into this abyss of pity because I was so frustrated at that, at that moment. I call that moment rock bottom. I could not go any lower. And so at that moment I said, you know what? There was a little voice in the back of my head that said, you have got to learn how to eat. You never studied nutrition. You don't know what's in the food you're eating. You're listening to the advice of people that you cannot trust. You have to study nutrition. Just do it. And I said, fine, I'm going to do it. So then I went the next day to the Barnes and Noble and I started picking up all the books on food and diabetic nutrition. And one thing after another, low carbohydrate this, low carbohydrate this, low carbohydrate this, eliminate carbohydrates. And I said, that doesn't work. There's got to be another way. So luckily I had some friends here in San Francisco who introduced me to the idea that maybe a plant-based approach could revolutionize my life. And I was that guy that used to make fun of vegetarians and you make fun of vegans when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Somebody would tell me oh, I'm a vegetarian and the first words I would say was, oh, I'm sorry, I wish things were better for you. <laughs> so here I am <laughs> contemplating going on to a plant-based diet after I grew up making fun of them. So I was able to attend a retreat of a doctor named Dr. Doug Graham. He was putting on a retreat in Colorado. He flew me out, or I flew out to go visit with him, and I was at a retreat for a week. And while I was there, he basically said, listen, everything you think you know about diabetes is wrong, and I'm going to prove it to you. And he said, I'm going to put you onto a, an approach, a plant-based approach that is 100% raw, no cooking involved, and extremely low in its fat intake. And just by making that change, your insulin use is going to tank. Watch. And I said, hey, if it makes me feel any better than I currently feel. Let's How many do it. years ago was this? This was 2003. So this was 14 years ago. Got it. So it was after my first year of living with diabetes. So I was effectively 12 months into the process. And then I say, I'm going to try this approach. And so, none of your medical people told you about this? Absolutely not. Right. They didn't know about it. And if they did know about it, they probably would have told me not to go. So it, over the first week, as I dropped my fat intake and increased my fruit intake, my vegetable intake, and literally was just eating nothing but fruits and vegetables. You would think, person with type 1 diabetes shows up to retreat, increases his carbohydrate intake from about, let's say, 150 grams of carbohydrate per day to 600 grams per day. He quadruples his carbohydrate intake. You would think, if a person with type 1 diabetes quadruples their carbohydrate intake, they would also probably increase, maybe double, maybe triple their insulin usage but the exact opposite happened. So carbohydrate intake went up by four times and my insulin use went from 42 units per day all the way down to about 26, 27 so units per day. So I've heard John McDougall say that when you go into his immersion program and they put you on an unlimited plant-based diet that he'll have to like on type twos cut their insulin off Correct. and their medicines and then the type ones he might knock off 30 to 50% that first evening. Absolutely. So does it happen that fast? Whatever we're gonna call this and I'm baiting you, but. Sure. <laughs> um, how fast does that happen when you switch? Because you, basically you're eating just fruit. When you're on a raw food diet, I mean, you're eating, you know, greens don't have a ton of long carbohydrate in them. They have some, but you got to eat boatloads. Correct. But fruit's where you're getting most of your fruit's calories. Fruit's where I'm from. getting 90% of my Correct. carbohydrate and, to take from. And then this was not processed fruit. This was just whole fruit, obviously. Yep. Okay. Yep. So how quickly did you have to cut, did he say, the first night or two nights or what, did, what happened? He, he warned me that my insulin use was going to start coming down relatively quickly. I don't think he gave me a time frame. Right. He didn't say 24 hours. He didn't say three days. He said, just be, just watch it because it's going to happen very quickly. Uh, within 24 hours, I was waking up in the middle of the night, intensely hypoglycemic, sweating big time. And I was like, oh my God, I have got to reduce my basal insulin use and I have to reduce my bolus insulin use. 
So I started making those adjustments within the first 24 hours. So to answer your question, how quickly does it happen? In me, it happened within 24 hours. Fast forward 10 years, 11 years, 12 years later, we start our coaching program. Right. We now work with people around the world to teach them the exact same methods for treating their type one diabetes using a plant-based diet. And on this plant-based diet that we have, it's not just a raw food diet. You absolutely can include cooked foods, starches, potatoes, squash, corn, quinoa, brown rice, mm -hmm. lentils, beans, you name it. As long as it's a low fat plant-based right. whole food. Even then, even when people are putting cooked foods into their mouth, as long as they're keeping their fat intake low, their insulin sensitivity changes in 24 hours, practically every single time. You know, and if it doesn't change in 24 hours, it'll change within 48 hours. I mean, I heard, you know, I've heard this over and over again from when the, the well the very ad, um, myriad of immersion programs you know and i heard it actually this is a plug that anybody's listening to this that has diabetes or pre-diabetes or type 1 diabetes or whatever kind of blood sugar issue you have uh, you need to get the mastering diabetes summit tapes from mango man nutrition there's another one out there that's not what i'm talking about Correct. <laughs> um, because you'll see 25 of the best speakers. And I've listened to every single one of them. And, I, and I've actually interviewed some of these people on podcasts before this. So I kind of knew where they were coming from. But these are the best physician researchers around. Mm -hmm. And they all said generally the same thing. And, and many said what you just said about, you know, when you get immersed in, in a plant-based diet, a low-fat plant-based diet that's unprocessed carbohydrate, then things happen very quickly. Absolutely. All right. So... Let's get into why this happens, because otherwise I could talk to you all day and we'll never, we'll never get done. But um, there's a thing called insulin resistance. Correct. And we hear it on both, I'm going to say both sides of the aisle, from the ketogenic diet people to the low-carb people. Everybody's saying you want to improve insulin sensitivity and reduce insulin resistance. So first of all, define what that term is, and then just stay with the plant-based diet of why it improves that situation and then maybe we can get into the low carb higher fat diets and what might aggravate and if we can do that that will be very helpful for people absolutely this is a great question because there's so much confusion in this world just like you said you hear the words insulin resistance all over the place and everybody claims that they can reverse insulin resistance but it is not a true statement so insulin resistance is the storage of insulin resistance is caused by the storage of fat in tissues that are not designed to store fat. It's that are? simple. There is one tissue in your body which is specifically designed to store fat, and that is called fat or adipose tissue. Now, adipose tissue is located all throughout your body. You have some in your neck, you have some in your face, you have some in your abdomen, in your butt, in your quadricep, you name it. But that's the only tissue that has the machinery that's specifically designed to uptake fatty acids from the bloodstream and store them in a, in a warehouse that is actually perfectly designed to do that and it doesn't actually uh, affect other tissues. You, you can think of it as though it's a protective mechanism. If you didn't have adipose tissue, then the fatty acids which you put into your diet would have to all get stored in other tissues. What happens when you consume a diet that is high in fat, and high in fat in these, for our conversation, is considered more than 15% of your calories from fat. If you're consuming a diet that contains more than 15% of your calories in fat, then the fatty acids get stored in your adipose tissue, but they also get stored elsewhere. They get stored in your muscle, they get stored in your liver, in your gallbladder, in your pancreas, in your spleen, you name it. So when these tissues start to accumulate fatty acids, they end up developing insulin resistance. And you can think of insulin resistance as a protective mechanism, because that's really what it is. What happens is that these tissues, they can't 
prevent fatty acids from getting inside of them. They don't really have the defense mechanism to say, no, I don't want fat. So when fat exists in the bloodstream in high quantities, that fat ends up diffusing into the tissue and the tissue has to take it up. So in response to taking up more and more and more fat, the tissues, let's say we're in your muscle as an example, the muscle basically has, an, has energy sensors built into every single cell. And the cells start to store that lipid or that fat and then they, their energy sensors are saying, there's a lot of energy in here, there's a lot of energy in here, there's a lot of energy in here. It's a high energy state. So in order to prevent more energy from coming into the tissue, they have to elicit some type of mechanism to try and block it. But they can't block fat from coming in like we said earlier. So what they can block is glucose from coming in. So the way that they can block glucose is by basically shutting down insulin receptors and that's insulin resistance. So they shut down insulin receptors or inhibit them big time such that the next time you go eat a banana or the next time you eat a potato and there's some glucose floating in your bloodstream, that glucose is then accompanied by insulin. Insulin comes to the door, it says knock knock, I got some glucose, please take it up if you want to and the cell says are you kidding me? There's no way I'm taking up that glucose. Because fat's in the cell. Look how much lipid, look how much fat I already have. I need to get rid of this stuff first. Because it's energy. Because it's energy. Correct. Exactly right. So you're getting glucose as energy, it won't let in the cell. And you've got all this fat energy that it needs to get out of the cell. Exactly. So I always explain this like chewing gum in a lock, because that's the way I heard about it. <laughs> Go for it, yes. <laughs> no, I just, I mean, I try and keep it simple for patients. If you get too much excess fat, it's like chewing gum in the lock and, and the insulin can't bind appropriately or, or push sugar into the cell. Exactly. You said, you said a lot of pearls here. And by the way, just so people know, um, Dr. Combata went back and got a PhD in... Nutritional biochemistry. Right, from... UC Berkeley. Okay. So it's not like he just you know, went to some PhD program to do alternative nutrition, okay? Correct. So he went back and, and, and did the work. All right. So that particular concept I try and share with patients. So the muscle cell can be filled up with fat, the liver cells can be filled up with fat, even the pancreatic cell can get filled up with fat. Absolutely. And so then insulin cannot push sugar into the cell. Correct. All right. So then how do you improve insulin sensitivity, which would be the opposite? Correct. Exactly right. So how do you do that with a diet? Okay. So the situation that we just described is a situation in which you're consuming more than 15% of your calories from fat. And as a result of that, that fat gets stored inside of your muscle, your liver, your pancreas, and other tissues. So if, if I gave you the task of reversing that situation, what would you say? What, what would be the first thing that would come to your mind? Well, the first thing I'd say, I mean, you'd cut calories and go on a lower fat diet to try and drain the fat out of the cell. I mean, that's what I would say. Sure, exactly right. Okay. Now, you said two things. You said, number one, cut calories, and then number two, reduce well, fat. Well, here's, here's why I said that. If, if all your so this is why I think carbohydrates get a bad name. Yes. If you've got all this fat in your cell and then yep. you go eat a bowl of white rice, yep. everybody blames white rice is the problem. Exactly. And that's not the problem. That's exactly right. And, I, and I just, I did this on purpose because I just did a talk on, in, in, in Japan, I mean, excuse me, in Japan, in China, in 1980, 1% of the population had diabetes. And then now, almost 11% does. And so everybody says it's the rice, it's the rice, it's rice. Correct. But I actually have a graph that shows that their rice intake has stayed the same. In fact, in, in urban areas, it's gone down. Correct. But what's gone up is meat and fat, they've skyrocketed. Correct. So anyway, I wanted to set the stage for that. Yes. Go ahead and okay. keep talking about how we improve insulin resistance or get rid of 
No. Improve insulin sensitivity and get rid of insulin resistance. Very good. I only okay. did that once. <laughs> so far. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Okay, so the way to do it is to restrict your fat intake. And when I say restrict, I mean reduce the amount of fat that you're putting into your mouth. So once you start to reduce the amount of fat that's going into your mouth, as a result of that, the, the, the fat that's stored inside of your muscle, inside of your pancreas, inside of your liver has an opportunity to get oxidized or burned. So instead of putting fat into your mouth, you're eating more carbohydrate, okay? When you reduce your fat intake, your protein intake generally also comes down because fat and protein are found in the same foods and therefore when you restrict your fat intake, protein intake also tends to come down. So as a result of that, you start to eat more carbohydrate rich foods. Like I said earlier, fruits, vegetables, potatoes, squash, corn, quinoa, potatoes, lentils, beans, right? These whole carbohydrates that you get from the plant world. When you start to eat those foods, carbohydrate becomes your new fuel. It becomes your new, your new currency. And so the fatty acids that, were, that are stored inside of your muscle and your liver, they have an opportunity to start to get burned. So within 24 hours, 48 hours, the first week, the second week, the first month, these fatty acids start to get burned. And in a very short period of time, the fatty acid content inside of these tissues goes significantly down. And as a result of that, now when <coughs> glucose is floating around because you're eating those carbohydrate rich foods, then when insulin knocks on the door and says, oh, hey, by the way, I have some glucose for you, the cell goes, great, welcome. Come in, glucose. Look, there's not that much fatty acid here anymore. Please. So what, what I was unaware of before, I, I kind of knew this principle. I didn't know how fast it could change. And, and, and because I've talked to you know, like Dr. McDougall and his, his work, when they put people in these immersion programs, you've got to change right away, and you said that Correct. too. But here's, here's where I think the, the public could get confused. Because when I talk about a carbohydrate, and I think you talk about a carbohydrate, there is no sugar and oil attached to that carbohydrate. It's got fiber. It's got everything intact in it. So when someone out in the other world eats their muffin cracker chip, mm -hmm. they're blaming the carbohydrate part, but it also comes with added calories of sugar and oil added to it. That's exactly right. And so that would <laughs> gum up the works. Yes. Because you get more calories and you get more fat. That's exactly Even right. Even though you're saying it's a carbohydrate food. That's exactly right. So I think a lot of the confusion starts with the word sugar. And I personally, I hate the word sugar because we refer to the fuel that you get from a banana Mm -hmm. as sugar and we also refer to what you would get from a sweet and low packet as sugar right a refined white crystal from a manufacturing facility is called sugar and then a fruit is also called sugar we cannot possibly call the, the two of those the same thing because they're not the same thing so that's why I like to use the word carbohydrate and then put another word in front of it so a whole carbohydrate is what you get from from a banana or a potato or quinoa okay whole means it's unadulterated. It has not been refined or milled or processed in any way. It's the way that you know, Mother Nature grew it. It's the way that you'd found in, you know, if you were traveling through the forest. A refined carbohydrate is a, a carbohydrate that has gone through a manufacturing process. In the case of sugar, it's basically been refined so much to the extent that all it is is a molecule of glucose attached to a molecule of fructose. And that's it. There's no fiber, there's no vitamins, there's no water, there's no antioxidants, and there's no uh, vitamins, fiber, water, minerals, and antioxidants. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of lacking all of those micronutrients, this is as refined a material as you can possibly put into your body. So 
what you're saying here is when, when people restrict their carbohydrate intake, one of the reasons why it works is because they're getting rid of so many other things at the same time. Mm -hmm. Right, they're getting rid of refined sugar. They're getting rid of added oil. Mm -hmm. They're getting rid of added butter. They're getting rid of a whole bunch of other uh, contaminating uh, ingredients that are then complicating their blood glucose control. And it just so happens that fruit is also put into that category because fruit is a carbohydrate. So it's not that fruit was ever the enemy or potatoes were ever the enemy. They're not. They never have been. They never will be. But it's all the other refined products that come along with this general class of things we refer to as carbohydrates that when you restrict that, all of a sudden your ability to control your blood glucose now becomes easier. Okay. So we've got a, a principle that a lower fat, unprocessed carbohydrate diet is, is one of the ways to go to improve your, improve your blood sugar. Now, um, I, I did some research on the work of Dr. Hemsworth and some early research where a chunk of meat can also affect insulin resistance great point okay so we've got fat in the cell let's talk about just meat by itself because I can yep. see the graph right in front of my eyes totally. where the insulin didn't work as well because of a, a slab of meat so yep. can you talk about that a little absolutely bit? yeah so uh, dr. Michael Greger on nutritionfacts.org has some videos about this in particular and what he shows is there's a video in particular that that talks about the insulinogenic properties of various foods insulinogenic is just a super nerd way of saying if you eat this food, how much insulin does your pancreas secrete? And so there's papers that actually, where they go through, you know, food after food after food, and then they test how much insulin people produce in response to eating that food. So naturally, the sugar-sweetened beverages and the pastries and the refined carbohydrates give very large insulin spikes. No surprise there. But what they found that was very surprising is that even the foods that have zero carbohydrate intake in them, meat, eggs, fish, chicken, pork. These foods stimulate, not only do they stimulate insulin secretion, but they stimulate as much insulin secretion as white bread. But again, people are saying, oh, well, you know, if I just restrict my carbohydrate intake, then I'm not producing insulin anymore. It's not a true statement. Because if you actually look at the amount of insulin that is produced in these situations, it's actually still quite high. So it's unfortunate that most people believe that if you just get rid of carbohydrates, then all of a sudden your insulin production goes to effectively zero. Because I would like to believe that as well, but it turns out that that's not actually the case. So in, in summary, to improve insulin sensitivity, which means insulin works better, Correct. to get rid of insulin resistance, you're going to go on a lower f total fat diet, 10 to 15% or under. Mm -hmm. You're going to eat, you're going to try and eat no processed carbohydrate and Correct. you're going to keep your animal meat protein low. Yeah, exactly right. And that would be the diet of choice to reverse diabetes. Absolutely. Which I mean, I'm saying the obvious because I already know, but I, it always amazes me. I am, um, in, in some of my earlier work, Dr. James Anderson is an endocrinologist from the University of Kentucky. Um, he's Veterans Affairs, and in the early 1970s, he had the high-carbohydrate, high-fiber diet. And I was actually turned on by a, a group, a physician group now, who somehow forgets about this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, totally. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Anderson would reverse diabetes or, or cut insulin needs dramatically by putting people on a high, he would actually say it, a high-carbohydrate, high-fiber diet. Correct. And it was lower, lower in animal f protein. And I interviewed him in 2009, he said the same thing. So let's get to... I'd like to talk about your program. Yes. Because 
for me as a clinician, there's a lot of noise out there, and, and I'm going to have links in this interview to Dr. Kambada's website um, where you can look at it. He has a great thing on insulin um, resistance. I mean, it's a great PDF download. Um, and then to go to his workshop, if anybody had, in my mind, diabetes, prediabetes, type 1, type 2, to go to his, his immersion program along with Robbie, I think would be fabulous because you're going to see it. The, the beauty of diabetes, in my mind, unlike heart disease, where if you tell someone to change their diet, okay, maybe they feel better in a week or two, but immediately you see your blood sugar drop. And so it has the ultimate in biofeedback. Correct. Diabetes. So in your workshop, talk about your workshop, what you do, you take, well, talk about your workshop. I'll, sure. I'll be quiet. So just like you're saying, diabetes is the most measurable condition in existence. There's no other health condition which requires as much measurement as you, as you would find, especially in type 1 diabetes, because you have to measure you know, your blood glucose multiple times a day, how much insulin are you giving yourself, and then some people choose to measure how much food they're consuming. So you're having to constantly do math and math and math and math and math. Even in the case of type 2 diabetes, you're still measuring your blood glucose and determining, some, in some situations, giving yourself insulin. As a result of that, you can see changes extremely quickly that you wouldn't otherwise be able to see in other conditions because you're not measuring. Um, so what we do is we basically have two different ways of helping people. The, the first, the primary um, method by which we help people is we have a group coaching program. It's an online group coaching program that uh, allows people to participate from wherever they live. You can live in Antarctica or you can live in the United Kingdom or you can live on the West Coast. It doesn't matter. As long as you have access to the internet, you can participate. And what it is is over a four-month period, we teach people how to transition from their current diet to a low-fat, plant-based, whole food diet. And in that process, they will see incremental change all along the way. And we, we make it a four-month-long process because we're not trying to change. We're not going to you know, change your diet so drastically that it's going to become unsustainable. And then after 21 days, see you later, go do something else. What we're trying to do is create a sustainable approach that people can stick with for years and hopefully the rest of their life. So over the course of this program, we basically provide people with access to our community. We have a community of people that are living around the world thriving on this approach. And they are incredibly knowledgeable and they're, they have a lot of experience. And most importantly, once they've gone through the process and seen how much weight they can lose and how much insulin sensitivity they gain, they feel morally obligated to help people out that are now starting the process. And we see this time and time again and it's just, it's so heartwarming to watch this. So that's the first thing is we give you access to our community and then we also give you an online course. And this online course has like just a collection of videos and lessons that lead you through uh, a series of changes to it. This is how you can change your breakfast and you change your lunch and you change your dinner. This is what intermittent fasting is all about and this is how often is necessary to perform it. And this is how you measure your blood glucose and this is how often, et cetera, et cetera. So we teach people that via an online course and then every week we get on a video conference, a group video conference where you get to troubleshoot your process. So you might be able to bring some questions to the table and say, hey, you know, like things are going really well except for some reason, I'm not losing weight as fast as I thought I was going to lose. What's the problem? And then we can dive really deep into your individual program and say, oh, okay. With other people listening? With other people right. listening. So everybody's learning. Everybody's learning. And, you know, you get to dive really deep and say, okay, well, Kirk, you know, like, explain to us what you're eating and, you know, show us exactly what your, what your schedule is like. And in that process, we're going to learn from you and say, oh, these are our recommendations. At the end of every week, we try and give you literally just one homework assignment. That's it. Kirk. We believe that if you were to make this one change, you would see 
progress immediately. And then your goal is to just make that one change and continue in your program. And so you do this over the course of four months and people come out just completely transformed. So that's the way that that group coaching program works. The second thing that we have are these retreats and this happens twice a year on average where we go down to Southern California and we usually have about between 15 and 20 people. Mm -hmm. And these are people with type one diabetes, pre-diabetes and type two diabetes who fly in from all around the world. And they participate with us for a four day uh, retreat experience where uh, we provide lodging, we provide all food, we provide exercise and we provide education. And in this four day retreat, we teach you, we give you a sort of a, it's like a boot camp or a crash course in insulin sensitivity where we teach you all the mechanics and we feed you according to the low-fat, plant-based, whole foods approach. So there can be some real rapid change in this group. Unbelievably rapid change. I mean, I just went through and I did all the math to try and find out how our individuals, specifically with type 1, were changing in their insulin sensitivity. And the average change in insulin sensitivity is a, uh, a two-and-a-half-fold or a 250% increase in insulin sensitivity. And these are very large numbers. And, and part of the sort of difficulty of talking about this approach is that the changes are so large, they seem unreal, mm -hmm. right? So I'm not talking about a change whereby, you know, you can eat 30% more carbohydrate or maybe 50% more carbohydrate. I'm talking about quadrupling, quintupling, sextupling your carbohydrate intake and using less insulin at the same time. This is after the four or five days. Yeah, this is during that four during to five four day five period. Days. So, you know, people come out after four days with this, this incredible experience and knowledge of exactly how they can continue their lifestyle, and then they go back to their, their everyday lives and either try and make or it work. Or they could be part of your coaching program. Or they join the coaching program. Sense. They get initial bolus, they see results, but then they, you know, they get confused or whatever, and then they, and you continue on a process of learning. That's exactly right. No, I mean, it seems optimal. So before we close, um, how do people get a hold of you, number one? Okay. So there's, there's two ways to get a hold of me. You can go to either mangomannutrition.com and you can read uh, a whole bunch of articles there about you know what's the power of low-fat plant-based whole food nutrition. You can also get in contact with me through that website. That's number one. Number two, you can go to masteringdiabetes.org. Masteringdiabetes.org is uh, another website that I manage and it is, uh, it's effectively the same thing. Me, myself, and Robbie Barbero who uh, was one of the, uh, he worked with Forks Over Knives for six years, helped make that movie and establish that business as a really That's powerful cool. machine. Uh, Robbie's got a ton of experience as well. He also lives with type 1 diabetes. So the two of us uh, run Mastering Diabetes, uh, we run the Mastering Diabetes business and that's the one where you can learn more about the retreats as well as learn more about the group coaching program and get in contact with us and see if it's the right thing for you. There's one topic I want to put in this thing that I didn't get in here. Let's go for it. <laughs> um, if you can summarize. So everybody says insulin sensitivity or insulin resistance. How do you measure insulin resistance and how do you measure, you just said, insulin sensitivity improving? Because I, I go around and, I, and you know, I get all kinds of different answers. What's yes. the answer? Okay. I've thought long and hard about this. There's, there's, we have to separate people with type 1 diabetes versus people with type 2 diabetes. Or let's be more clear. We have to separate people who use insulin from people who don't use insulin. So if you are living, if you are insulin dependent, then the way that you measure your insulin sensitivity, the easiest way to do it is to determine the total number of grams of carbohydrate you put into your body and in a 24 hour period and you divide that by the total number of units of insulin you are using. And that's insulin sensitivity. 
That's insulin activity. sensitivity. Insulin sensitivity slash insulin resistance in this situation is the same thing. So effectively what you're doing is you're, you're calculating a fraction. Total number of grams of carbohydrate in 24 hours divided by total number of units of insulin in 24 hours. So obviously you want that, insulin sensitivity to be a higher number. That's exactly right. So the total number of units of insulin that someone will be using is a combination of both their basal plus their bolus insulin together, right? right? So let's just put some numbers on this. When I first started this approach, I was eating an average of about 150 grams of carbohydrate per 24 hours divided by about 42 units of insulin total, mm -hmm. right? So 150 divided by 42, let's call that a four, about a four. Now I'm sitting at uh, 750 grams of carbohydrate per day divided by 24 units of insulin. So if you do the math on that, that turns out to be like a 28 to one ratio. So I went from a four to one 24 hour insulin sensitivity to a 28 to one 24 hour insulin sensitivity. And, and that's the, the scope or the sort of range of insulin sensitivity that we see. Now, if you are not using insulin, the only way to measure your level of insulin sensitivity is to perform what's called an oral glucose tolerance test. So in, if you go to the doctor and you say, hey, I wanna do a glucose tolerance test, what they will do is they'll give you a solution, which is water with 75 grams of glucose. You drink that and then they will measure your blood glucose at zero, zero minutes, 60 minutes, 120 minutes, and 180 minutes, and then they'll graph it over time and they'll be able to see just how high your blood glucose went and how quickly it came down. You can do that at home as well. So what we recommend for people is you do your at-home glucose tolerance test where you consume 50 grams of carbohydrate from two bananas, as an example, or you know a certain amount of pineapple. I can't remember the actual amount, but you consume that meal and what you will do at home is you will check your blood glucose at zero, 30, 60, 90, and 120 minutes. And then you will graph that on a piece of paper and you will take a look at that same you know, rise and fall. Now, if you do that at the very beginning when you are insulin resistant, and then you do that over the course of time, what you will find is that you're getting a smaller and smaller uh, deviation from your initial starting point. Mm -hmm. So instead of it being a rapid rise and a rapid fall, it will be a very small rise and then a very small fall, and you'll see less of a blip on the radar. And so you can compare your previous glucose tolerance test results versus your current glucose tolerance test results, and then you can get a metric for just how, how much you're improving in your insulin resistance. Well, I know we're gonna do this again because we're, I really wanna get into um, people use the, high, the, the low carb, high fat diets or ketogenic diets to lose weight and for a variety of other things. And I want to go over how that, well, why you think that's either good or bad. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> yeah, well, I can talk at length about okay. that. So we'll do that. So again, my name is Kirk Hamilton. I'm talking with Cyrus Kambata, PhD, uh, about uh, plant-based nutrition, plant-based diets, whole food plant-based diets, uh, reversing insulin resistance. Um, I will have all this information on uh, underneath a podcast that you link up uh, Cyrus and his work. And I highly recommend anybody that's got any type of blood sugar issue that you go to this website, educate yourself, join the group, because in, in one sense, blood sugar control is very simple. If we just ate an unprocessed, low-fat, plant-based diet, we'd wipe out most of it on the planet. Yeah, it wouldn't Not exist all of it, anymore. But mo most of it. Right. So, anyway, my name is Kirk Hamilton. I'll talk to you soon. You have a fabulous day.